I want to talk about the all-sufficient Lamb of God. The all-sufficient Lamb of God. But it's very hard for us to understand and to appreciate all that took place during this Passion Week unless we understand what God had already foreshadowed in the Old Testament. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We won't read it all, but it's a story concerning Abraham. Remember, God made a covenant with Abraham, a blood covenant with Abraham. God said, I'm making it myself, and I'm making it with you, Abraham. And the significant thing about a blood covenant is it never can be broken until one of the participants dies. And how many of you know that God doesn't die? God is alive forevermore. But also, there had to be a commitment on the part of both parties to say, everything I have is yours. I give everything I have to you. And so God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son up on the mountain, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And the Bible says that he immediately, the next morning, got up early, chopped the wood, put it on the, the uh, pack animal, got the fire, and took his son and started for the mountain with his servants. And they came to the mountain, and he said to the servants, you stay here, we'll be back. It's so interesting that Abraham spoke by faith. He didn't say, I'll be back. He said, we'll be back. Now, it said later on in the New Testament that Abraham knew that God was going to do one of two things. Either he was going to raise his son from the dead after he killed him, or he was going to give him another son. But he said, we'll be back. And as they went up the mountain, Isaac said, Father, we're going up to make a sacrifice. Here's the wood and here's the fire. Where's the lamb? God spoke prophetically through Abraham at that time. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now we know that immediately it did happen when he raised the knife to slay Isaac that God spoke out of the cloud and said, Abraham, do not slay him. And there was a bleeding and he looked around and here was a, a ram with his horns caught in the bramble bush. He couldn't get out. And that was offered as a sacrifice. But afterwards God said, now, because you did not withhold your only son, now I'm going to do this and this. He says, you have fulfilled your part of the blood covenant. I'm going to fulfill my part. So the blood covenant, the important thing I want you to know is God will provide himself a lamb. The next part is found over in Exodus, this 12th chapter, verses 1 through 14. And we have the story concerning the Passover. Let me read this to you because many times I find that there are many people today, and I'm astounded as I hear the uh, surveys that are taken, at how few people who call themselves Christians even read their Bible. And the booksellers of America came out with a prediction or a, a survey years ago, several years ago, they said that one out of 10,000 Christian men, when they go into Christian bookstores, buy some, some serious book concerning the Bible. Think about that. Now, if you want to know whether this, this congregation is above average, one in 10,000 men, when they go into a bookstore, ever buy something serious. They'll buy cards and gifts and trinkets and things like this. Very seldom a theological book. Now I want to tell you something, which the Word says that the only way we're going to grow spiritually is to hide the Word of God away in our heart, to know God's plan, know God's purpose, know God's will for our life. And that's in His Word. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Exodus, the twelfth chapter, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make you your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, very important, a male of the first year. He shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. 
and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. They had to take it out the tenth day and keep it to the fourteenth day. They had to keep it there like a pet for four days. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take the blood of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden, or boiled at all with water, but roast with fire the head with its, his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, what? I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. The word of God said that they would do what he told them to do with the lamb. They would slay it and eat it take the blood and put it over the doorpost. Uh, the, now, by the way, the Israelites understood this principle because God had already said earlier, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no taking away of sin. And so they understood this principle of the shedding of blood already. And he said, now put it over the doorpost. And first of all, I'm going to protect you. You will not be slain. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And he also said that it was going to be a time of memorial for their deliverance. That lamb was slain to, to acknowledge the fact that their sins had been covered and they were protected by the Lord and they were going out of Egypt into a whole new way of life. And he said, I don't want you to forget this. Every year I want you to set this up as a memorial. By the way, back then, the blood that was shed only covered their sins. But there was one coming that would take their sins away, the Scripture says. Now the New Testament fulfillment is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. In verse 29, we hear of a young man by the name of John the Baptist who had come and he said, Behold, I'm just a voice in the wilderness declaring, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now when John came, they came and said, Are you the one that was promised? I mean, God promised a, a, a prophet, a Messiah. He promised one that was going to come and set up his rule. Are you the one? He said, I am not the one. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He said, I'm just a voice. He must increase, but I must decrease. I don't even know who he is, but he's coming, and I'm telling you, get prepared, because God's prophet, God's Messiah, God's future ruler is coming. Get prepared. One day as he looked up, as he was baptizing, in verse 29, it says, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith. Now this was pregnant with, with meaning to the Jews. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away, here's a new concept now, not covereth, that taketh away the sins of the world. Now, this was totally expected because it had been prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Will you turn back to Isaiah 53 with me? Isaiah 53, that when he said this to the Jewish people, they were just electrified with excitement at that time because what had been prophesied and they had heard nothing from God for almost 500 years. There had been no outspoken uh, prophet for 500 years between the New Testament times. And suddenly on the scene comes John the Baptist and he said, I'm getting ready prepared 
people, the one that's to come. And then he said, here he is. This is the Lamb of God. And take away the sins of the world. Isaiah had already declared this one was going to come. Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We have the artist's concept of what Jesus looked like, but I want to tell you, parents, when you have pictures of Christ around, keep explaining to your children, we have no idea that that's what he looked like at all. In fact, we're not to look at that as something to worship or something to pray to. We're only to pray to the Lord Jesus because we've invited him into our hearts, and he's dwelling in our hearts. We're not to look at pictures. They're not to become idols to us. That's why in this church, you notice we have not put up a lot of signs and pictures and everything else on the wall. I eventually hope one of these days when we have a church, we can put up some some uh, scripture verses or something like that on the walls, but I, I don't want anything that people are going to start putting their attention to. The scripture says, God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't need an atmosphere. We can sit in the back of a barn that's filled with cattle, and if we know God, we can worship him right there. That's why I tell people, don't get set on this building. Some years ago, you know, a man came here, and he knew that we saw offered uh, coffee and tea and rolls back in the back room, between services, and he came, you are polluting God's sanctuary. I said, I don't know how that's possible. He said, you're having all this food and stuff, and then from time to time you offer things over here. When people come in with books and records, he says, you're making it a den of thieves. I said, oh, you don't understand. Now, you can't apply Old Testament truth to New Testament principle. God in the Old Testament dwelled in temples made with hands, but he says he's no longer going to do that. He says, now I'm going to dwell in the fleshly heart, in the heart of man. I said, if you're concerned about polluting the temple, just keep your heart clean. Don't worry about this building. It's just an old brick and mortar building that we'll move out of someday and they might put a, a slaughterhouse there. We don't know what they're going to do in this building. This building is not sacred. What we do here is sacred, but the building is not sacred. Verse 3, he, was, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he, he was is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth." He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was, in other words, he was killed for the transgressions of the people. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. See, he made his grave. He was on the cross with the other malefactors. And then he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall, by righteous, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Back in the, fifth, in the 52nd chapter, in verse 14, it says, 
as many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man in this form, more than the sons of men. The Living Bible says he was beaten and bloodied until he was disfigured. Now you say, well, how do we know that's talking about Jesus Christ? Well, if you go over to the book of Acts, you'll remember that there was an Ethiopian eunuch going the, who served Candace, uh, Queen of the Ethiopians, and he was riding in his chariot, and Philip was in the middle of a revival meeting, and God did a very unusual thing. He says, Philip, leave this revival and go out in the wilderness. There's somebody I want you to talk to. And when he got out there, he stood on the roadside and saw this black man coming along, reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And the Spirit of God said, go and join yourself to him. So he got up in the chariot, and the man says, he says, what are you reading? The man said, I'm reading Isaiah 53. What does this mean? And the Bible says he preached unto him Jesus. He said, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The fulfillment in the Passion Week tells us not only was Jesus Christ a lamb, but he was more than a lamb. You see, I, I want to emphasize to you that when the lamb was slain, the, the lamb felt no sympathy whatsoever with the sinner. There was no empathy on the lamb's part. He didn't understand. He was simply a victim of, of the need of innocent blood. And God said without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. He could not identify with the sinner. There was no connection whatsoever between him and the sinner. There was no compassion. The lamb didn't say, I feel so sorry for you. I'll be glad to give my blood for you. There was no union there whatsoever. The sinner would come put his hand on the animal's head and confess his sins and then cut the animal's throat and let the blood pour out. And that blood would be shed for his sin. The blood simply covered his sins. It didn't mean that the lamb took his punishment for him. It meant that the blood covered his sins. But when we see our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he went through, we begin to realize that he was more than just the Lamb of God. First of all, in Mark, the 14th chapter, I want you to see something here. The Lord spoke this into my heart this past week while I was praying. And a lot of times when I'm walking in the morning, I'll be praying in the Spirit and just asking the Lord to give me discernment and wisdom what he wants to say. I said, Lord, you know, I can go read a lot of sermons and I can put something together, but I really want something that you've spoken into my heart this Sunday. And this really spoke to my heart and it, it, made me just realize how much we don't appreciate all that Jesus Christ has done for us and, and what we have to come to, the person that we have to come to in prayer every day. Mark 14, 50. The Word of God tells me, first of all, that when Jesus was taken by the mob that came with Judas, that all of the disciples fled and left him behind. I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ... Our high priest understands what it is to go through disappointment. To be disillusioned by someone else. How many times do you and I in our lifetime put our trust in someone and begin to really feel that someone is going to be there to help us and really meet the needs that we have and they're the ones that are going to give us that support when we need it and when we need it the most they run off and we think, dear God, what a pleasure, privilege it is for me to know that when those things happen in my life I can turn and say, Lord Jesus, you understand. You went through it. You can comprehend the disappointment that I feel right now. Then in Mark, the 14th chapter, we won't have turned to it, but verses 66 through 71, it talks about the one who said, even though I have to die, I won't deny you. Here was Peter, the one who always opened his mouth before his brain was in gear. And he said, I'll never, I'll die before I ever deny you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And as you read the story, you remember that two different women came up to him twice he denied and in the midst of it, the cock crowed, and then the man came up to him and said, you're one of them. And finally he swore and just 
just blasphemed and said, no, I'm not a part of him. And about that time, the cock crows began, and one of the gospel writers says that Jesus turned around and looked at Peter. And then he remembered what Jesus had said to him, and he ran off, crying. And I want to tell you something. I'm so glad that the Lord understands fickleness. You can't be in the ministry very long, but what you find out, people are very, very fickle. Not very consistent. In the past years of my ministry, I've had people come in and say, Brother Webb, we need to do this. Brother Webb, we need to do that. Brother Webb, we need to do this. And I say, well, would you like to take that ministry on? Do you really feel that burden? Would you like, oh yeah, I'll take it. And then I've seen them start something, and you, and people come to you and say, why, did, what happened to that Well, people are fickle. They felt that God had said that, you know, it's amazing how many times people think God changes his mind. I've seen God blame for more things that God hasn't got anything to do with whatsoever. I was in Bible school enough years, and up there in Bible school, I heard more young people say, oh, God led us together, and a month later, God told us to separate, and God led us together. God, I said, why don't you quit listening to that? That's not God. That's the flesh. Start listening to God, and you'll find consistency. And that's why when I was dating, or going to Bible school, I finally said, Lord, I'm not going to date anyone else until the day comes you show me the right one. Just the right one. I'm not going to go out and play the field anymore. And the day came and God showed me a young lady way away from me and he said, that's the one. And I said, bless God, I know that I know that I know. And you know what? It eliminates fickleness. And you and I need to know that it's God before we've got it. And once it's God, God will not change. He wants us to walk steadfastly. But if we find people that are fickle around us, don't get your eyes set on people and get discouraged. Realize that the Lord understands. You go to him and say, Lord, it happened to me too. I'm so glad you know and you understand that my trust is in you and not in these people. Mark chapter 15. I usually don't read a lot of Scripture, but this morning I just feel it's very important to read some Scripture here. I'm going to read the first 39 verses for you. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And the answering said unto him, Thou sayest it, and the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they, they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire to him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that they should, he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him? Who is called, whom is called the king of the Jews. And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. So Pilate, willing to content the people, he was afraid of a riot there, and he was anxious to try to please the people, says he released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall, called Praetorium, and they were called together, the whole band. And they clothed Jesus with purple, and plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head, 
and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed, and they did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put, on his own, and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross and bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. With him they crucify two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They that were crucified with him reviled him. When the sixth hour was come, that's noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calls Elias. One ran and filled a sponge with full of vinegar, put it on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. As I read that, I began to contemplate on what Jesus had experienced. And I thought, you know, he's more than a lamb. He's a compassionate Savior and a high priest. Jesus, the Bible said here, was scourged. And I won't get into detail, but to tell you, it's a cat of what they call a cat of nine tails with lead or bone, pieces of bone or metal in the end of leather straps that when it would strike, would cut the flesh. And when it would pull out, it would rip out the flesh. And he was given 39 stripes. And in those days, if the soldiers did not apply all the pressure, they themselves would be subject to the same beating. And they would lay it on with all the pressure they could across the back. And they said 39 was all you can give because most men could not stand. 40 would kill them. So they'd come to the very brink to where they'd have the mass, the, the uh, greatest amount of suffering without dying. And I thought to myself, Jesus understands what cruelty really is. And I've had so many people come to me and say, I'm living in some very cruel surroundings and circumstances. And I just wonder if God even knows where I'm at. Yes, He knows where you're at. But when you call upon Him, He not only knows, He understands that His grace is sufficient for you in your situation. And I'm so glad we don't come to one who's never experienced these things, but we can come and say, Lord Jesus, You know how it hurts. You know the feeling yourself. You've experienced it. You know the Word of God says to the believer, casting all your what? anxieties or cares on him. What's that? Anything that distracts, anything that pulls you away, anything that takes you in the opposite direction of getting closer to God. 
So when these things come to us and we tend to begin to feel sorry for ourselves, the Lord says, don't do that. That draws you away from me. Cast your care and anxieties on me. Realize that I understand I've already been there and my grace is sufficient for you. I can sustain you in the midst of the storm. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. We have a compassionate Savior. Verses 17 and 18, it says, they put a crown of thorns on his head and then took her and, and began to mock him. Jesus understood humiliation. How many times have you and I been humiliated by people? Had things said about us? Had people mock what we believe? How many of you at work have heard people say, oh, there's the deacon, there's the old preacher boy, there's the old, that, that radical, there's that fanatic. And I've had people actually get in a cold and turn away and, and become discouraged when they've said those things to me. I don't know what there is in me, but when they used to tell, say that to me when I was working for, while I was in Bible school and before I went to Bible school, it was like saying sick them to a dog to me. I would say, boy, if you think I'm a deacon now, you wait till I really tell you what Jesus is like. And sometimes people get discouraged. And I want you to know, the Lord understands what it is to be humiliated and to be put down. I want to go on and tell you there in verse 19, it says they not only put the crown of thorns on his head, but they took a rod and pounded it down on his head, struck him on the side, on top of the head where that crown of thorns was. Jesus understood brutality. There's a horrible act of brutality to have them. Now these thorns were, I'm told, from one and a half to two inches long, wrapped around his skull, and they placed it down with force on his forehead. And then they took this rod and would beat on those thorns, so they drove them into his head, all around his head, and the blood was running down. Nothing but cruelty. And there's many people that come to me and say, Pastor, you, you don't know what the circumstances are that I'm living under. They're, sometimes it's very, very brutal. And I say, I don't need to understand, but God understands. And His grace is sufficient for you. He can show you the right steps to take. He'll show you the right thing to do. But you don't have to come to one that doesn't understand what you're going through because He went through it Himself. Tempted, the Scripture says, in all manner like as we, yet without sin, so that He can suffer us, that He can lift us up, that He can encourage us and sustain us in those times. The Word of God goes on and tells us that while Jesus was on earth, at one time He was hungry, He was thirsty, He was tired. All these things that we feel in our daily lives, we just think, you know... God must not understand where I am or what I'm doing. He must not even know my address. After all, look at all I'm having to go through. He understands, but he said it's for our good. That's why he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. In the midst of the storm, he'll direct your path if you'll let him. When Jesus faced punishment, I want you to know that he had the same feelings that we have. When he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, remember I told you he didn't bear the cross to Calvary. He bore the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, Father, if it be possible, you're God. After all, you're God. You can do anything. And if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me. He said, it's, I know that you can do it. Three times he prayed that. Some people say, you know, that a lot of times I pray and God doesn't seem to answer prayer. Yes, he does. Sometimes he says no. Well, I can't accept that. You have to accept that. He's God. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Then he took on the cross. He said, but it really doesn't make any difference. Father, it's not my will, but thine be done. That's the cross. Your will, Lord, not mine. And in the midst of the times, we think God is answering prayer. We have to come to that place and say, Father, this is what I want, but it really doesn't make any difference. I'm yours. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, therefore I'm going to glorify God in my body, whether by life or by death. It doesn't make any difference, Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's what the Lord wants us to, where He wants us to come to. 
When it seems like he isn't answering prayer, we need to say, Father, thank you for not answering prayer in that situation. I can't tell you, and I haven't got time to tell you this morning, but there have been so many times I've started praying and asking God, begging God to do something, and he didn't do it. And I went away saying, I don't understand this, Lord. Lord, this investment would be wonderful. If I did. Lord, why won't you supply and just make provision? For the and then later on, I look back and say, oh, thank God he didn't answer prayer. My ignorance to ask for something like that, and he knew what was best for me all along. And here I was telling him that he didn't, Lord, do you really understand this situation? I mean, how ridiculous can we get? Of course he understands the situation. But he said he protects schools and children, and I'm not a child, and he protected me. But we can come and say, Lord, you know what I'm going through, and you know the emotions I'm feeling right now, and you understand it, and I thank you as I commit my life to you. I'm asking you to work it out whatever way you want to work it out, and I'm going to thank you ahead of time for the answer, whatever it might be. Jesus understood belittling in John the 8th chapter and the 41st verse. He came to Jesus and said, You be not born of fornication, as you are. How humiliating for him to have those around him going around saying, Did you know that, by the way, you heard the story, didn't you? That Mary says that this Holy Ghost came on her and she got pregnant. How, look at this situation. I mean, here he is, a carpenter. Joseph is a carpenter. You know how stories get started. Jesus had to live with them. You be not born of fornication. And then the time when Jesus understood rejection, he had a rich young ruler come to him and Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, there's different commandments. He said, oh, I've kept them from my birth. He said, well, that's great. But you see, Jesus knows right where to put his finger, where it really, <laughs> where it really needs to be put. He said, okay, then take everything you've got and give it to the poor and come follow me. The Bible says the man went away sorrowful. And I want to tell you something. Jesus did not chase after him. The compassionate Son of God did not chase after him. Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever be of you that is not willing to forsake all that he has, whosoever is not willing to take up his cross every day, die every day. This is what I'd like, Lord, but that doesn't make any difference. I want to do the will of God for this day. Kingdom of God come, will of God be done in my life. He said, If you aren't willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. And then walked away, but Jesus understood rejection. I want to tell you something. If you're ever going to be in the ministry or do any ministries at all, you better get used to rejection because there's going to be a lot of people. They're going to come up and they're going to just be all so friendly. And then all of a sudden, someday they'll walk off and you say, what did I do? You didn't do anything. You're just experiencing rejection. And Jesus said, if they reject me, they'll reject you. And if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject him that sent me. So don't feel badly. If you're doing the will of God and they reject you, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting the one that sent you. You understand that? Some people go away with a real inferiority complex and people walk away from them and reject what they have to say concerning the Lord. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Him. Who's the loser? You? Jesus understood abandonment. Have you ever been abandoned? Someone that you really love and all of a sudden they just totally abandoned you? Jesus was on the cross, and in the darkest hour, when the sins of mankind were laid upon him, and the scripture says God had to turn his back on his own son, and he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? God could not look upon the sin that was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was alone. And I want to tell you something there's times in your life when there's going to be loneliness, and there's going to be sorrow in your heart, and you don't understand why things are the way they are. But you don't have to understand it. 
You just have to know that God understands. That the Lord Himself went through abandonment. He understood what loneliness was. And you say, Lord, I'm thankful that I can identify. Scripture says, Paul said, I, the, the, my highest goal is that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. That I might be, might be made conformable unto His death. That by any means I might glorify Jesus Christ. You and I are going to have to experience suffering in this life. But when we do, we can say we know that we, our, our Lord Jesus understands. Then may I just share with you in John 19, I see evidence that Jesus understood what it was to lose a family member. When he was at the cross, the scripture tells me that evidently Joseph had already passed away and Joseph knew what it was to be in a single parent home. Because when he was there at the cross, his mother was there at the foot of the cross. And Jesus spoke to, the, to his mother and said, Woman, and he pointed to John, or nodded toward John, he said, Behold your son. In other words, that's going to be your son from now on. Then he said to John, John, behold your mother. Another translation says, John, you take her now as, as though she is your mother. You care for her as though she is your mother now. So evidently Jesus had experienced the loss of his own father, Joseph, the adopted father. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if he was the son of God. It still hurts when you lose loved ones in the family. But what a blessing it is to know that when we go through those experiences, to know that Jesus understands you say, well, why did he have to go through all this? Why? I mean, the Old Testament lamb just simply had to offer his blood because Jesus was more. He was not only the all-sufficient lamb, but he was the Son of God, and he is today our high priest. And as you get into the book of Hebrews, if you begin to read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, its whole theme is better things. In the Old Testament, we had Melchizedek. Today, we have a new high priest. In the Old Testament, we had the blood of the lamb. Today, we have the blood of Christ. In the old days, you had the Levitical priesthood that would die and you'd have to raise up another priest and you'd go and wouldn't know the new priest when you went in. It's just like these churches that shift pastors like, like everything. You know, you come in, who's this shepherd, you know? And he says, that doesn't happen anymore. You have a high priest forever in the heavens. Look at Hebrews, the fourth chapter, 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to tell you, as long as you live, you'll always have a shepherd, the same high priest to come to. Even our Lord Jesus Christ. 14 through 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, now get this, but was in all points what? Tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Another translation says in the nick of time, the Lord is going to meet our needs. Over in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, Hebrews chapter seven, verses 20, beginning with verse 22, talking about a better high priest here. Hebrews seven twenty-two, and by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unexchangeable, excuse me, an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You and I and I, you and I have a high priest that is touched by the feelings of our infirmities because he's experienced it, and also he's always making intercession for us. He's praying to the Father in our behalf, knowing how to pray because he's gone through it. Do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? 
It's terrible. I mean, it, it's almost demeaning sometimes to sympathize with someone. But what a pleasure and an encouragement it is to them if you can empathize with them, if you really know what they're going through. You know exactly the feelings and the hurts and what they need. And this is what the scripture says, that he knows our feelings and he makes intercession for us with the Father. And so the admonition for the believer, because of this, we have this Lamb of God, the all-sufficient Lamb of God, who is now our high priest, that says that we're to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And the invitation is to come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest on your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now he says you can either carry your own load, or you can cast them off on the Lord. And I close with this illustration I read some years ago of a man who was hitchhiking and had this 100-pound pack on his back. And the man stopped his truck to give the man a, a ride, and the man got in and picked up his 100-pound load and put it on his lap. He said, well, just put that in the back of the truck. He says, you don't need to carry that on your lap. He says, no, no, no. He says, you're nice enough to carry me in the truck. There's no sense you have to carry my load, too. He said, well, that's kind of dumb going to seed, isn't it? I'm going to catch what I'm going to tell you. That's exactly what I see a lot of Christians do. Well, I'm trusting Jesus for eternal life, and I'm trusting him for my eternal soul, but I guess I can carry my own burdens through this life. After all, I mean, what more can I expect? He's, he's already going to save my soul. How can I expect him to help me in my daily nitty-gritty needs here on earth? The Bible says casting all your care on him because he cares for you. I'm so thankful for the all-sufficient man of God. 